Welcome to Tech Writer Voices, the podcast for technical writers, where we discuss all the trends, news, tips, tools, and other information related to technical writing. We're on the web at techwritervoices.com. If you have feedback on the show, send it to tom at techwritervoices.com or make a blog post about it and link back to our site. I'm Tom Johnson. I'm a member of the Suncoast chapter in Florida. Heidi Hansen is our co-host, and she's a member of the Puget Sound chapter in Washington State. So in this show, we're going to talk about a lot of things, including how to make help more human and other trends in, in the field. So let's go to the show. All right, welcome to another edition of Tech Writer Voices. I'm here with Heidi Hansen, my co-host, and we are talking about a variety of things. But the first thing we're going to talk about is Kathy Sierra's really powerful talk at the South by Southwest conference. And this is a big techie conference in Austin. Uh, Heidi, had you ever heard of South by Southwest before? No. It's apparently a, a really popular conference, but it's not just for technical people. It's music and, and film and others, other mediums. But it's super popular, and she started her talk. She delivered a keynote address. Um, I can't remember if it was opening or closing remarks, but she talked about user help, which I thought was fascinating. Here, all these technical developers are are gathered together, and she's telling them how to make their applications more human by writing more human help. So, but but uh, first, she asked them a really pertinent question, which which I want to get into later as well. But she she said, "Why are all these people gathered at this conference when it's being?" podcasted. People are blogging about it. People are, are using Twitter to describe what's going on. Uh, people are capturing video. So it's being completely documented in every possible way. And yet thousands of people are showing up to this conference. And I thought that was a fascinating thing. And her question was, well, why are you coming? You're the very people who create virtual interactions and promote that sort of virtual interaction so that users don't have to be physically present. So why did you come? She says that people crave the human element. And she encourages them to try to make their applications more human. And then she gets into help. And she says that our help needs to be human. We have to start using contractions and writing conversationally. And most of all, we have to remember that writers or that users are in a state of panic when they're accessing the help. They're frustrated. They're mad. They're under a tight deadline. They're under pressure. They they are really not these calm, leisurely researchers who are mildly amused and just kind of curious. And um, it got me thinking a lot about the rhetorical situation when we write help. We often don't even realize that we're writing for panicky people. What did you think about? I'm not always panicky. Like I was actually thinking about that uh, when I go to use help, say in Word or uh, something like that. I'm not actually panicky, and I actually was monitoring myself as I was typing and going to the you know help menu. I was actually monitoring myself. Am I panicky? You know, right now after I read that post, and I, I actually wasn't. I was more uh, curious, wanting an answer quickly. But I don't think panicky is quite the quite quite the right word, although I think that it's definitely very valuable to 
understand that maybe your users are coming at your help topic through a search search engine, and so making that the search results very you know very good with maybe a title and also a little teaser paragraph at the top, maybe in their search results, or at least when they get to their topic, you have a paragraph that introduces it a little bit or orients them just a little bit, and I think that that would help the panicky user a little bit is. It's not so much that they're panicky, maybe, but it's that they really want something uh, swift in a quick fashion, and and I think if we can supply that, and and even if we could watch our users uh, as they use our help, I think that that would really um, aid us a lot in knowing and knowing, you know, how to best help the panicky person, because it's really about a person wanting to achieve a task and wanting to achieve a goal, and. You know, and whether, you know, regardless of their demeanor <laughs> of how they arrive at your help, I completely agree. It's about having something that, you know, maybe has contractions. A lot of times says, you do this, you do that. Here's what you're doing to achieve your goal or task. And, and, uh, and I, yeah, I think, and I, the other thing that I really liked about that uh, blog post, which people should go to your blog and look at, is that she mentioned, okay, if you have FAQs, so if you have frequently asked questions and you have those topics, a lot of times you'll put them off in their own separate area. And she's saying, don't segregate your FAQs uh, into their own area, say, on the table of contents. What if you mix them in? And I had never really thought of that, but it... It goes along well with, you know, when I search or when I'm in a topic and I want to see also in my see also list, what if I had a frequently asked topic there? And then it makes it a lot more conversational and casual. You're not just reading this really dry topic. You've also got an FAQ, and often the FAQs are on a lot uh, more friendly language like here's your question friendly question, and then here's your answer. And oftentimes it's a little bit more friendly and and just having FAQs, I think, also is a lot of is lacking maybe in a lot of people's help. I mean, maybe they think that that belongs in the support area. Well, really, it belongs wherever your user, wherever it might aid them, wherever it might help them. And the other cool thing that I really liked about that post, it made me think of what besides FAQs and uh, you know, a little bit better language, user-friendly, plain language. What else could you do? And I was thinking you could do a team blog. You could do or, you know, do a video where you're talking or just put out an MP3, not necessarily a podcast, but maybe on your team blog you post an MP3 that either talks about a topic or otherwise, you know, helps them hear your voice hear your human voice, you know, and and meet the people behind their help. I think that that is one of the great appeal of appeals of team blogs is, you know, here you have, you know, meet your writers or meet the people who brought you that, you know, and if you spend eight hours a day in your application and you could meet the people behind it, you know, you know, I just think that that's really adds a total human element. I agree that the the blog and the human element are really something that users like. I, I couldn't imagine reading a blog that was written without contractions or that was not conversational. I mean, the whole idea of a blog is that it's conversational, personal, that it's very human, and and that appeals to readers and or to users. And so much more the argument for for making our style of help more human, more conversational, more 
more real, you know. And uh, I, th- I think there's a fine line though there with humor though is is oftentimes people are like, oh, to make it more to make it more human, let's just add humor and make it funny and and but there is a fine line there where if somebody's really trying to accomplish their task quickly, their goal quickly. Humor can get corny awfully quickly if there's if they go to five different topics and they're still not finding what they're uh, wanting. So we have to be careful there. I, I agree. I, humor is very difficult to achieve as well. I mean, what's funny to one is dumb to another, and and of course it doesn't translate very well either. And if you're doing some other languages, uh, you know, the uh, South by Southwest podcast archive is online and it has tons of excellent podcasts there's some of the some of the best ones the, the conference archives even unconferences have great archives of podcasts so i'll put a link to the south by southwest archive there and people can attend the entire conference even though they're you know just driving in their cars um now speaking of attending conferences and recording conferences you mentioned that uh you you found some bloggers at the writers ua conference who are are doing the live blogging thing yeah i'm a little disappointed though because it hasn't been uh fast and furious as as what you know with such technic tech savvy attendees i thought it might be a little bit more robust there only seemed to be three or four but i i did really like char's post about um up-and-coming help authoring tool trends from, you know, like dispatches from the vendors, you know. And so her her post on helpstuff.com uh, I thought was by far the best best post so far from the Writers UA conference going on now in Long Beach, California. Do, do we have a tr- Twitter crowd among tech writers? Do you know? Are you familiar with Twitter? I just heard about it this past week. Funny you should say that. <laughs> you, you know, I, I haven't done twitter i mean i looked into it and i think i tried it once and made one little post and realized that it wasn't something i was going to do because i'm either at work or home i'm not somebody who's in a million different places at once trying to communicate with my 30 friends you know so but but still it's it's totally catching on like wildfire and there's tons of twitterers and twitter fanatics basically twitter just so people know it's it's a a service where it's like a one-sentence blog post. You're supposed to say what you're doing right at the moment. And when you when you make that, that comment or Twitter post, it, it sends a message to all your other Twitter-subscribed friends so they know exactly what you're doing at the moment. I heard about it because uh, I, think, I guess it was talked about in the Wall Street Journal and my friend said that the people on the political campaign are kind of doing it right now or something. But, you know... It, it would be kind of fun to to do a Twitter post from from my phone while I'm at an interesting place, but I can't imagine typing uh, on my little numeric keypad something that it would just be painstaking. But I should try it. I shouldn't uh, diss it. I've heard the people who try it just learn to love it. Well, plus it'll become more popular, exactly like you just said, as more people start carrying Trio and BlackBerry-like devices in the future. Definitely. Now, I want to talk about this post that I, I saw from Joshua Porter. It's called Nine Lessons for Would-Be Bloggers. And he, he I think, got a lot of this advice from a panel that he attended at the South by Southwest conference called Writing, Better. And he gives some excellent advice, some of the best advice about blogging that I've seen. So, so if people are starting blogs or if they're into blogging and, and they want some tips, 
I want to go through a few of these and just uh, see what your thoughts are as well, Heidi. His first tip for, for writing your blog is, is uh, it's only an initial fear. So there's a fear that people have of putting themselves on public display. And they're not comfortable with throwing themselves to the wolves. They have this fear that people are going to come down upon them and criticize their their viewpoint and tell them that they don't know anything. And That's rarely the case. Almost never. Have you ever had anybody comment on your blog and say, you don't know what you're talking about? No, and and I really think it's more about you're contributing to a community and you're but one little soul among many, many, many. So people, just like you were, you were saying, for every one comment, there are ten who are stealth, who you know just hang out and they don't don't post. And and the people who don't do take the time often just want to contribute to the community, just be you know part of social networking, web chat, two dot type of thing. Yeah, definitely. In fact, the, the, the uh, point you made about how one comment equals like 10 or 100 readers or something is uh, his last point. It, another point he says is you have something valuable to say. And one of the biggest problems, he says, is that some people don't think they have anything useful to say. They think, look at all the incredible amount of writing out there already. What can I add to it? And I think this is probably the biggest reason that people... Uh, don't blog as they think, well, gosh, what would I blog about? I don't even know what what I would write. And so they're stuck right there. And I heard a really interesting kind of anecdote from another South by Southwest podcast I was listening to on, on where people get inspiration for things. And I don't know if this is true, but apparently Picasso was walking in a park one day and he came across a woman who was sitting on the bench and she asked Picasso to draw him a, a picture a profile of her or something and so he he took out a pen and and uh and a piece of paper and he made one one line in a in a swift motion and and that was it and the, the lady looked at it and she said oh my goodness it it's an it exactly captures the essence of of uh me or i can't remember what he was drawing but it, it, ca- it captured the essence perfectly and she was really fascinated by the by the by the drawing and it had only taken one stroke and she said well how much how much do i owe you for this you know and he said fifty thousand dollars and she said what fifty thousand dollars it just it took you it took you 10 seconds it took you 10 seconds how can you possibly say that it costs so much and he he replied no ma'am this took me my entire life and uh (laughs) the point of the story for this guy's talk is that we have our entire lives that build up to certain points that we interact with, ideas that suddenly we encounter. And so we get this inspiration that that we bring with us throughout our entire lives that we're building as, as creative people. And uh, when different ideas come to us, the way we interact with them is not just some spur-of-the-moment thing, but it's really the culmination of so much study or learning or or experiences well that's a great story and then it completely dovetails really well into into the fact that you kind of should pick one theme and kind of stick to it on your blog so it's kind of like you know i like i first introduced myself on this podcast i said okay since high school i've been immersed in technical writing and then i went in college technical communication and all those years of reading this and that and the journals and just being in the field 
it it just goes and then it all comes to a culmination of you know I can contribute something now because I've been around the block so much uh, you know and so it's exactly that idea that you know you've you have these experiences and they're in your head and until you really share them you know you haven't contributed as much as you can or could definitely there's one last point I want to touch on on his post and that's what you just mentioned he says have a shtick which is essentially have a focus or theme for your, for your blog and, and I have a friend who who started blogging in our chapter Beth Long and she said that just picking a focus for her blog really enabled her to have a lot to say about it whereas if you just think you're going to blog about anything and everything that piques your interest you you might not really get a get very many ideas but the minute you identify oh, this is what I want to write, write about because I'm passionate about it. You have to really have a passion for it, that uh, Porter says. Once you do, ideas start to flow much more freely. Yeah, I call it synthesizing. Just because if you've been in the same field for quite a while and, like, say, you know, these tertiary, these, you know, fields on either side of the technical communication field, they kind of inter, they add to what you're able to talk about. So say the user, the fact that I go to SIGCHI, and so user experience and interaction design, I've been, you know, getting some of those nuggets, and I read the Wall Street Journal or other Business Week, and, or listen to the Business Week podcast, and these little nuggets, that, you know, my main trail, like my main path on the hike is technical communication, but then these, you know, leaves and branches and nuggets on the on the side of the trail they you know allow me to synthesize things but yet come at it from the main perspective of technical communication so when i add a nugget from the business week or wsj or anything else i or interaction design i i i just add it but with the main focus being okay how can i add to my technical communication body of knowledge you know, these little side business, you know, these other things, but it, it, it still, it all goes to one main path, one main hike on the same path. I, I like that analogy. That's nice. Now, you mentioned Sig Kai. You, you told me that you went to a, a meeting last week about it. You want to share? Oh, yeah. Uh, the presenter was Heidi Adkisson, and she works for Blink Interactive, which is an interaction design firm here in Seattle, and she was talking about identifying what your actions are and what your objects are and she primarily was talking about web applications but one of the main themes was that if you disperse the actions on your webs on your web page so say your web application homepage has you know email a friend um, blog this or other actions and all of the actions are some are on, on the right side, some are on the left side, and some are at the bottom, and some are at the top. She said that their re- research has shown that if the actions are grouped in one area, that people discover and use the actions a lot more. And another, the neat thing about the about the, her presentation was that, number one, all her slides are in PDF format, and they're on uh, the BlinkInteractive.com website. I have links to it from my blog. And she also has, she explains this a- objects and actions analysis. She forms a matrix, but she's got, kind of a synopsis of this of her slides and of like and they call it essays so if you go to my blog you can link to her essay that talks about this sigkai presentation and 
Another neat thing is that Heidi does have a blog, and again, her name is Heidi Adkisson, and she's going to present at the UPA conference, uh, the UPA 2007 in Austin, the conference that's going to be held June 11th through 15th. So I thought that was kind of a neat connection, too, as UPA is so closely related to our technical communication field, and then, uh, of course, she applied to present there, and she will be, so... uh, Check out my blog if you're interested in, um, if, especially if you're doing web applications, if you're doing information architecture or interaction design with web applications, her presentation would definitely apply. And I also had a couple other things. I was reading a neat article in the Wall Street Journal about Apple TV, and I just thought I'd uh, mention uh, what this author, Walt Mossberg, had to say about Uh, the usability of the Apple TV. He said, like the iPod before it, Apple TV isn't the first gadget in its category. Part of the secret of Apple TV is that, like most of Apple's products, it doesn't try to do everything and thus become a mess of complexity. So if you've ever read Don Norman or Alan Cooper, this article completely goes along with what those, those guys say about, you know, limit your features and... And you'll uh, be able to have a better product. And as technical communicators, we're in an excellent position to get in on the design early and say, and, and if we are presented with, uh, if we look at, this, look at the design and it looks as though we are going to be writing feature after feature after feature, and the, it just seems very complex to us, we can alert the whoever's, you know, the project owner we can alert them early and say, you know, wait a second, I, I think that we might be, you know, I as a technical communicator, I'm going to have to write a lot of topics here and more than I think is necessary and maybe we need to look at the design. Yeah, you, and, you know, I just want to interject there on on that one. It reminds me of something I read on the paradox of choice about having too many too many features, too many choices. I've read that book, yeah. You, oh, you read that book? Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't read the whole book. I just read uh, a synopsis of it or whatever. But one of the things that, or I heard the guy speak. That's what, anyway. One of the things that jumped out at me is he says they did this study of of jam testing in a grocery market, and they they had like six kinds of jam one day, and and people came by and they taste tested the jam and they you know they bought the jam they wanted or that they liked the best, and then the next day they put down twenty five different sam- flavors of jam. And and surprisingly, they sold fewer amounts of jam when they had 25 arrayed than when they had just six. So I mean, users really they they don't they don't want 25 different features. I mean, it's like your your blender. You want an on off switch. Your and you, people just want things simple. They don't want to have to the jam. <laughs> the jam uh, illustration is actually pretty famous, and it was it's it's in it's I think it's in the opening half of that book, The Paradox of Choice, and yeah, definitely one of the core examples of of that. And you know, I I think I wrote on my blog like a long time ago about that book, and one of the things I said in my blog post was, you know, that's part of the joy of shopping at Costco. If you want coffee coffee that's it you know like one choice and and if you want jeans jeans you know (laughs) and so every time i shop at costco i'm I'm always thinking to myself is this a great experience or what and and i think and is it because my choices are limited and it's just nice and refreshing it's so different from the the real world but um but there's something there's a 
article about uh, Amazon or something, when you know the product is in there, you actually are grateful that there are a lot of choices. Um, I think the example is Jello. It's something about if you're if you're gonna browse, you maybe don't mind, but if your mindset is get the item, you know, like a direct task of. In uh, in your mindset is not browsing, then you definitely want just fewer choices. But if your mindset is browsing, then I guess I guess Amazon has done studies or something where choice is actually not a hindrance. <clears throat> yeah. Well, if you have so many choices, then then if you make a choice, then you've you've not made a lot of other possible choices that you could have made. And people <laughs> get really upset about that. They have a lot of cognitive dissonance. That's what that book's about, is it saying, if you, yeah, you, you all the choices you've foregone, uh, you can just drive yourself batty over that. <laughs> I mean, applying it to tech writing, obviously, if you have like a giant, a giant manual, the reader's going to feel like, oh, I'm only going to read 10 pages of this and look at all I'm missing and I'm totally not going to understand the product. If you'd have given the reader... 10 pages maybe he would have been much happier although not totally informed with a comprehensive help but anyway well yeah and that's and that's true too because if you give them uh say tons of search results and they're like oh man i don't know which one you know they would probably prefer that their search returned five or something you know if they don't so anyways, the other thing I wanted to mention was a really good book review by David Owens, and it was in the uh, February 2007 technical communication in the book reviews section in the back. And I just wanted to read a couple of passages because this book review struck me as being uh, very well written, but also because the book looked really good. And I think a lot of technical communication managers have project management uh, tasks and duties and maybe want to seek out books for that. And uh, the author of this book review, David Owens, really liked this book. So I thought I'd read just a couple of uh, passages that to give you the essence of the book. So... Uh, Owens writes about the authors. Uh, the book is called Applied Software Project Management, and the authors are Andrew Stellman and Jennifer Green. And uh, Owens writes about the authors. He says that in this book, they emphasize real-world application over ideals that may be unachievable. Transparency is a major theme of the book. And then he also says the authors successfully pull the dark art of estimating out of the realm of smoke and mirrors and to, into the light of day by offering several several proven techniques for estimating time on projects. And then he also says of part one, it's about schedules, requirements, dependencies. And then he says, okay, that's part one. And then part two, he says, applied software, this book could end with part one and still be useful. However, the authors fully realize that the process of creating software is more than tools and techniques. It's a human endeavor. And then they, he says, in, in using project management effectively, they focus on the human side of the equation. So part one maybe is the nuts and bolts, and part two gets into the human side of project management. And then uh, Owens kind of summarizes and concludes with, this book truly hits the mark in providing practical advice that can be put in use in real-world development environments. So... Uh, when I shared with my friend who's more on the project side, uh, and she said, you know, uh, 
I really like, she's like, oh yeah, maybe I'll check out this book. But also the book, The Art of Project Management by Scott Birkin, she uh, highly recommends that book too. So a couple of project management book recommendations, if that would apply to you. I think it definitely applies in some way to most every writer. Uh, Most projects, uh, on most projects, writers have to give estimates of how much time they're going to spend writing the documentation before they've seen the application or before they know its scope you know so if if they give tips on on how to better estimate it's definitely definitely worthwhile i in my own head i just basically take what i think it will be and then multiply it by two or three <laughs> just kidding but yeah no no a lot of people do that actually yeah um, actually i wanted to also mention that i really liked your uh podcast from last week the interview with Nikki, I thought it was uh, very good, so if people haven't checked that out, I, I thought that was really, really interesting, and I thought it went over went over well. I think it's always interesting to hear from people who have thought about technical communication about the field and what they have to say about it. I, I just think those those interviews are just really interesting, so yeah, good job well, with that. Well, thanks. You know, I, what appealed to me most out of, out of that is her focus on education and training and offering more of these resources to the members because I think the the number one issue that people face is is trying to keep up keep pace with technology and and the new tools and uh, I was asking her about the software Saturdays because I think we're on the verge of somebody coming out with a virtual software Saturdays that anybody could participate in I don't know what tool would offer that that would be free, but I know there's got to be one out there where, let's say you have somebody who's a frame maker expert who wants to, to devote two hours to giving a little um, virtual seminar or webinar um, that anybody could go and then have it be recorded and distributed. I think that would be, that would be uh, the cat's pajamas in terms of education for, from the STC. Yeah, I, I like... I also I do I like where we're I list, like to hear how she says oh yeah I think STC is heading in a great direction and you know her the six points and go read that and she got excited about their pathway of where they're going in the future and you know how you you tend as you know Tom you tend to enjoy a lot of web 2.0 and you tend to scour the web to learn a lot of your things and you kind of view STC as, you know, yet another source of your many, many, many aggregated feeds of and podcasts of this knowledge. But the other thing is that some of the content that STC puts out is can be more authoritative, too. It can be, you know, it can be a little bit more filtered, especially technical communication with it being peer, peer-reviewed journal. And, you know, sometimes when... Sometimes you can look to an organization, an association, especially if their educational goal is, you know, make make the educational opportunities of high quality. I think that you can turn to more of an authoritative, authoritative source like that and kind of, you know, yes, a lot of the feeds are great and the podcasts and the blogs are great, but there's also a place for education that is maybe a cut above one because they try to, that's a goal of theirs, so... You know, there's there's that angle. I that think you're right. You're definitely right. Associations can help clear out some of the glut and uh, of the internet and and such. And and the fact that they realize that goal and they're revamping the website and a lot of you know the fact that they want to be that educational source and they're going to put a lot of their efforts toward that goal. I think it just bodes well for the future. I agree. A, a reader commented on my 
uh, site a while ago. She said that that most of the blogs that she reads are very valuable, but she she liked mine. She said, but uh, it's true. <laughs> like a lot of the blogs, you read them, and the way I read them is I, I aggregate them in, a, in my feed reader, and I just skim down until I find something that I think looks interesting. But uh, definitely the printed materials, the the intercom, the techcom journal, the conferences proceedings all that stuff from STC are on a higher level of of authority and and value definitely but now now this brings us us back to this earlier point about this south by southwest podcast being totally documented podcasted um distributed free right nobody had to I didn't have to pay to listen to Kathy Sierra's keynote but I'm totally benefiting so why is it that the STC is hesitant to podcast the upcoming national conference and distribute it for free? I think that they would be an early adopter. I mean, yeah, probably just kind of wait and see. Could, you know, number one, could be more profitable in the end. You know, this, this, that, and the other reason. But, well, there, you there's know, a ma- I think it has to do with being an early adopter or not. There's a, there's a fear that people have, and it's the obvious one, is that if you make the podcasts, or if you make the sessions free and, and the audio content distributable, downloadable, then nobody will come to the conference, and you'll have you'll have a, a total um, depletion of your att- attendees. And I, I think that the South by Southwest podcast proved that that idea is a misconception. People will go to conferences even more because they'll see that they're actually lively, they're fun. I mean, if people have never been to human, yeah, yeah. It, if people have never been to a conference, they're in their minds it may be academic, tedious, long, you know, scholarly, going for work to report back, you know. Some, but if they see videos of of tech writers uh, hanging out and, and having a good time and, and lively and getting excited about things, then I think it'll draw more atten- more people, more participants. But that's the whole the whole idea of. Uh, I mean, the whole Web 2.0 thing is you, you're going to give stuff away for free. What's your return? Are you going to get more in your return or are you going to lose? You're going to sell out your intellectual property to to everybody who wants it. So it's it's interesting to follow. Yeah. Okay. I don't have any other topics today. No, we we got covered a lot of ground. Um, we were going to talk about RSS feeds and Outlook, but we'll save that for another, another time. Um, okay. All right. Thanks, Heidi. been listening to tech writer voices we're on the web at techwritervoices.com i encourage you to subscribe to the podcast so that you can get updates when new ones are posted and send the site link to your chapter so that other members can also benefit people who maybe haven't heard about the podcast or who don't even know what podcasts are if you have feedback send it to tom at techwritervoices.com if you have any uh, desire to know more about the topics we talked about, go check out the post where you downloaded this, and there are links to all of these topics.